Hello. Hello. This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And we've got an excellent episode for you today. Yeah, we really do. Uh, Jonathan Garbett, Canadian tax and trust lawyer, will be joining us. And uh, he's one of the voices in in uh, a, a debate heating up over, around the 15% foreign buyer tax. So A raging debate here. So it's, uh, yeah, he's an interesting guy and he's definitely uh, got an opinion. So he, he's going to be fantastic. He's a great guest. And Chad Watts from the Mortgage Group. So Chad is a, a mortgage specialist and he'll be joining us to, to talk about, you know, what's going on in the lending world and uh, just uh, financing for buyers uh, overall. So, but first, Matt, maybe we should uh, chat. You're, you're just getting back from vacation. You've been back, what, about a week? now yeah i mean i uh i arrived back in Vo- vancouver uh basically with the tax um so yeah august 2nd uh wasn't sure what uh what i was in for but yeah the tax has been in implemented for the last week here and uh yeah i have a few thoughts of on the ground back at the office that's uh yeah i mean you've been back a week you're a pretty good gauge i was i was here the entire time so i i I was here for the announcement and saw kind of the um, the immediate residual effects, and maybe that's actually a good a good place to start. What what are you seeing on the ground level? Yeah, I mean, a few things. Uh, I was back in the office right after, and actually, I was I was surprised at how kind of uh, cheery and and unconcerned a lot of people seemed. Uh, to be about it. More generally, I mean, the market has definitely shifted uh, and it's uh, definitely related to the tax. I mean, one thing we're seeing right now is people are not waiting until after the opens for offers. In most cases, a lot of people are taking offers as they come. And uh, and I mean, that's an obvious shift in the power of uh, the sellers and the confidence of sellers uh, in this market to impose sort of rules on buyers clamoring for the properties it's uh it is now changed and and we're well we're still seeing multiple offers i mean i was talking to a, a colleague two nights ago who lost out in a multiple it's back to the old school negotiation a, a lot of times it's just one offer so i would say the market's still still busy in this first week but uh but there's definitely been a shift i think a lot of people have pushed pause and yeah that's that's basically what we're seeing i mean so two two things maybe that you said that i'd, I'd like to touch on so one is Related to, um, you said it's, people seem generally cheery or, or op- optimistic. Um, I, I, I tend to agree, and that's an interesting point to bring up because I think that a lot of people are, you know, people in the real estate industry as well are optimistic that there is this new tax, that there's something coming in because, you know, obviously um, a lot of people have been pushing for some form of, of a tax, right? Um, mm-hmm. so I, you know, I think, I think a lot of people are, are trying to look at the bright side of, of the tax and the downside of it is what we talked about last episode, which is more how the tax was rolled out. You know, that, the, the issue of grandfathering that, that never really came into effect. Well, yeah. And to that end, I think, you know, Dan Morrison, the president of the real estate board, uh, came out with, uh, he did a survey of, uh, of, of different brokerages to just see the, the effect of the tax so far. 
and and according to Dan Morrison, 427 deals have now collapsed due to a foreign buyer walking away. Right. Um, you know, this is again early days. We were just talking before we we went live that um, you know a lot of those early those transactions right after August second would have been pushed up uh, and registered at land titles prior to August second. So I think some of the deals that potentially would have collapsed had they been at the original completion date uh, were moved up. So, you know, potentially we're going to see further fallout in the in the coming weeks and, and months, especially with, with pre-sales. But there's definitely a fallout and the, there's a domino effect, of course, with that 427 deals collapsing. There's always a seller on the on the, the other end of that that deal who potentially has bought somewhere else and needed those funds. So, and is likely so, you know, a BC resident. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're still early days. 427 deals is, is nothing to sneeze at. And, uh, is that a saying? Nothing to sneeze yeah, at? Yeah. That's, a, that's definitely a saying. It is, <laughs> okay, it so is, it is in our family at least. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's nothing to sneeze at and, and, uh, potentially that's just the, the start, but, um, well, the other thing I said, there was two things I wanted to point out. The second one was, was the fact that talking about the, the shift in the market where we're, we're seeing, you know, at, at open houses, um, you know, we're seeing less traffic. We're definitely mm-hmm. seeing properties that sh- would have sold, um, likely in multiple offers, uh, sitting um, now for two weeks on the market, and we're and we're also seeing you know uh, the 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 aggressive kind of lowball offers coming. Um, They're which, already already emerging, yeah. mm-hmm, which is which is a sign that people are playing on the anxiety of 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 the market. Um, one thing that we have talked about, and this is what I wanted to really get at, is this idea of you know everyone when we're talking to is talking about the well ten, if if foreign buyers make up ten percent and we lose that ten percent, well hey look there's still ninety percent of of an active market. Um, you know that's a good thing, right? But let's kind of pull back and and look at who this is really who this is really affecting and, and the decisions of, of buyers that are, are operating in our market. So one thing is to talk about, you know, just how our market operates in general. And we've often described our market more like a stock market than a housing market because there, yeah, there exactly. clearly is so much speculation in Vancouver, right? Yeah, no, exactly. That That's it. And, and we were talking with that sort of stock market or housing as a commodity aspect of, of Vancouver. A lot of the people that we were working with in the last two years, say, who were helping the process of prices driving up were locals that were buying investment properties based on this idea that global demand for housing in Vancouver was insatiable and it was a it was a great buy. So I think I think if I'm if I'm following where where you're going with this is a lot of those people have hit pause. So it's not just, hey, take one out of 10 out of the market and uh, we still got a market of nine out of 10. It's it's probably more like three or four out of 10, three, three or four out of 10. Yeah. And then and then when you take three or four out of 10 out of the market, you know, the other buyers, a lot of them are saying, hey, wait, is this uh, it's a week in? Is this a, is this the right time to be buying? You know, I right. tend to think, and I don't know, Adam, if I think you agree, but, you know, if you're buying for a place to live in right now, you know, if you're thinking about doing a flip in the next eight months, uh, now is not 
the time to be buying. That's uh, I, I don't think I would be advising somebody to buy right now. But um, the other thing is the people in Vancouver are some of the most savvy real estate buyers in the world. I would argue. I sure. mean, there's there's people are savvy here about the market. They're very in tune yeah, with the market. The, and, yeah, and I think this is the thing, right? Because of the dramatic increases in our market and and how much money people have made over over the past couple decades, I think people have been raised with this idea that you do need to know a lot about real estate. You do you need right. to have that sound uh, foundation, just like you would in, to understand you know your finances, um, paper assets. So I, I agree, and I think that even even the people that are maybe playing the market speculating based on foreign activity or you know looking at at homes to live in, they're still keeping this kind of keen investor eye on what's happening. And uncertainty in markets often lead to people pulling back, right? And uh-huh, and you get uh-huh. that kind of herd mentality. Well, if it's slow, it's slow for a reason. I should take myself out of this market. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with with that said, I mean, it's, you you look at um, especially from Alberta. You know, where we, the immigration is is up, and uh, people are are moving to the lower mainland, and uh, you know, we do have a thriving economy and a lot you know, of good I think things. Long, a lot of positives, so it's it's hard to imagine that the impact here is going to fundamentally alter the shape of our market. Uh, but uh, but I think you know we're we're definitely seeing people hit pause. But if you know, and I was I, talking to somebody yesterday who's you know looking to purchase a, a place for themselves, and they said, "Is now a good time to buy?" And it's kind of like that's like the stock market question, right? I mean. Hey, if you're going to be living in it for five, ten years, there's never been a better time. And in fact, it's you know, I've I've been back close to a week, and I haven't seen a better time to be a buyer. Writing up an offer last night, and it's uh, it's a different experience to be the only game in town where you can actually negotiate on a on a list price. You know, so it's. Uh, right. Exciting times in that way. Okay, so maybe we'll cut to our guests. Uh, Jonathan Garbett, Canadian tax and trust lawyer, will be joining us. He's one of the voices in in an ongoing uh, debate right now around the fifteen percent foreign buyer tax. Yeah, and it's uh, we should just point out this debate. I mean, it's hard to imagine that our listeners are not familiar with it. I mean, if you ever read the Globe and Mail or the Vancouver Sun, it's it's basically everywhere. But there's a series of of issues that are being discussed. One is. Uh, is this 15% foreign buyer tax constitutional? There's uh, some law professors that are claiming that it goes against Canada's constitution. Uh, the second point is there's been some pretty loud voices come out and say that this violates the North American Free Trade Agreement and some other trade treaties that Canada uh, is engaged in. And, and there's some interesting implications that Jonathan Garbett will, will speak to of of that, if that's if that's actually the case, uh, I should say that Keith Head, a professor at uh, the Sauter School of Business at the University of British Columbia, is claiming that uh, residential real estate does not, or it's not at all clear, according to to Head, that residential real estate falls under uh, the terms of the North American Free Trade Agreement. So it may not be as cut and dried as, as some people are suggesting. That I think is uh, leads to the third side of this debate, which is basically the, the provincial government here in British Columbia saying, "Look, uh, we've done our due diligence. This wasn't knee jerk. We've looked at all of the implications of this tax, and uh, legally we're good." And uh, yeah, and then it's worth you know pointing out that apart from you know constitutional questions or trade questions that, you know, nine out of 10 people in the lower mainland uh, apparently support this tax. So, right. uh, you know, there's there's a, uh, a fiery mix there of commentators, some from the ivory tower uh, of the university, some on blogs, some in the comments section of Facebook. 
but uh, the debate is fierce, and Jonathan Garbutt's uh, one of the one of the voices, and he definitely has an opinion, so he should be a great guest. Right, and then we'll talk to Chad Watts. Um, we're curious to hear his thoughts. CMHC has warned of Vancouver being an overheated housing market for quite some time, and now recently OSFI has advised that banks in Vancouver really need to stress test for um, for price drops of up to 50%. Um, not yeah. not suggesting that that's what's going to happen, but um, making sure that banks are prepared if there is a shift. So it, it's interesting to hear Chad Watts' perspective on that and what's going on in the ground level. Um, Absolutely. As well as uh, his thoughts on if he's seen any anything um, from the financing perspective of uh, this fifteen percent foreign buyer tax. So yeah, it's gonna it's it's gonna be great. But hey, Adam, just uh, before we we cut to the interviews here, uh, we should just uh, preface all this with. Um, we are not lawyers. We are not accountants. Uh, Jonathan Garbett makes some some suggestions, right. uh, you know, how, how uh, on how to deal with uh, this tax that he clearly thinks is what he sees as loopholes. Right? He sees he sees yeah. there's some loopholes that he points out. We wanna we wanna make sure that that if if you do have questions about the tax, see a lawyer, see an accountant. Um, yeah. This is not intended to give any advice on how to avoid the tax or how to um, how to deal with it. Uh, but you know what? Call Jonathan Garbett if uh, if you are interested in his opinions. Absolutely. So, so yeah. Without further ado, let's uh, let's cut to our interview with Jonathan Garbett. Hope you guys okay. enjoy. Enjoy. Okay, so I'm here with Jonathan Garbett, Canadian tax and trust lawyer. How are you doing, Jonathan? Doing great. Beautiful day. Perfect. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I practice Canadian tax and trust law. Um, now, my background is that I uh, worked as an economist in investment advisory and economic forecasting in Asia for about 10 years before becoming a lawyer. So what I always tell people is, you know, I was a real human being before I became a lawyer. Lawyer. <laughs> People who who aren't lawyers think that's funny. Lawyers don't think it's funny. But um, so um, uh, so I, I've worked in, and then one, once I became a tax lawyer, I worked at a very large global firm dealing with uh, um, you know truly global clients, a lot of inbound uh, investors into Canada, and uh, I was responsible for a large portion of what's called the private banking practice at this global firm. Private banking is basically the, you know, there's there's international corporate, which is the, the, the big businesses around the world, and private banking is, is the tax law for the people who own those big businesses, the families behind them. Uh, and so I, I have a lot of experience in dealing with high net worth individuals from various countries and and their investments into Canada and what really sort of motivates them and what are their focus issues and and what they care about and 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 why they are making these investments into Canada and then I you know then I structure them to be as as tax optimal as possible uh based on you know not only what the Canadian Income Tax Act says but also what Canada's various uh tax treaties with various jurisdictions say and do not say and and then try and structure whatever it is that they're trying to do into Canada uh, in the most tax efficient means. So um, my background is that I, I've dealt with a lot of foreign investors coming into Canada, and I, I particularly 
you know, from, from basically every country on earth, but a lot out of Asia and out of Eastern Europe. And so I, I, I kind of understand what it is that's going on in their heads uh, when they're making these investments. So do you have clients then that are investing in Toronto real estate and Vancouver real estate? Yeah. Yeah. Do I don't have anybody who's in the buying process right now, but I've assisted a lot of people in that process. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Um, so recently you wrote a piece on the BC's liberals, 15% foreign buyer tax in which you called the tax, uh, a political gimmick and uh, utter poppycock, which I thought was uh, an interesting term. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was the politest way I could. I, there's a lot of other things I could have said. That was just the polite term. That I, <laughs> but again, so can just for listeners uh, that haven't read the article, can you kind of summarize your thoughts a bit and your argument? Okay, I, I think the, the there were three first um, key points here. I, I think the very first one is that this 15% is not going to work because it's not going to have a real impact on the people who are the source of the problem, which is a lot of high net worth individuals, particularly from Asia, who are buying high-end real properties. And the, and the very, you know, sort of the, the working from, from kind of back, uh, I think the very key issue is that for the most part it will be extremely easy to for them to avoid so you and and then the second point is that um even if they don't avoid it they don't really care uh because they have motivations that aren't really driven by price so an extra 15 percent isn't going to change things very much for them but at the same time even if they were sort of deterred by price differentials, 15% is approximately what you would have to pay in a lot of the places in the world where these people are coming from, just in bribes in order to get the water hooked up and the power hooked up and just get the local cops and the, and the, and the local authorities to agree to allow you to inhabit your own house. Um, so even if they did have to pay it, they would just see it as a cost of doing business. And then the very last sort of issue is that you know, it's a kind of combined problem. One is that I don't think the BC government has the capacity to enforce the law. They just don't have the people or the, or the, um, you know, or the experience in kind of trying to track this stuff down. But, but more importantly, the, and this really isn't my area of expertise, but I've read enough of the articles that people have written, is that, is that these type of taxes that are imposed on non-residents and non-citizens are effectively illegal under Canada's investment protection treaties with a lot of countries. And so although it might not specifically apply in the case of, of well, Chinese investors, because we haven't really gotten that treaty signed up yet, um, there's a lot of countries like the U.S., Mexico, and a lot of other countries where if the B.C. government does impose it, um, those those investors could very well turn around and sue the federal government and would likely win, and the federal government would have to refund the tax. So, you know, this whole thing, um, you know, I don't think it's going to have any positive impact whatsoever. I think it's just going to wind up being a, uh, uh, you know, it's just a smokescreen. The idea is that they did this thinking that it would look like they were doing something. Well, sorry, put it more mildly. There's two options. One, they had no clue what they were doing, and they just knee-jerk imposed this thinking it would work, which is scary because it means that they don't know what they're doing or what might be even scarier is that they actually knew going into it that it would have no impact whatsoever all they wanted to do was appear as though 
they were doing something and hope that the people would be fooled and therefore they would they, this would be a political advantage to them for having shown how how tough they are and how they you know how they tried to help the people when in fact they they knew from the get-go they were doing absolutely nothing and that it would all wind up getting tossed out in court for for a lot of the investors so you know that was sort of my position here is is it's just not going to do what they say it's going to do particularly it's not going to reduce demand for vancouver real estate one iota and it's going to have zero impact on price um you know since i've written the article i've gotten a lot of feedback and one of the things that one person said to me was or that i found out was well singapore did something similar and it had a a, a a modifying effect on their real estate market so you know I, I, I the only thing I would say is that you know Vancouver isn't isn't Singapore, um, so I don't know how how um, truly effective that that you know whether that's that's a, a good analogy or not. So, but that that's my position is it's it's too easy to avoid. It has no impact on their real position anyway, and it's probably illegal and going to get tossed even if they you know even if they tried to enforce it. Okay, so if with that fifteen percent, do you think that there's going to be a spinoff? Do you see any of these foreign investors potentially looking at different markets like Ontario, like maybe Toronto, where it's more hospitable, or or even Victoria to avoid it? Well, that's I, I guess that's the uh, I guess that's the question. Is uh, I've always been kind of a little bit amazed by the way that investors have just continued to pile into Vancouver when there are in fact, you know, perfectly reasonable alternatives just up the road and elsewhere in Canada. Uh, I think it has a lot to do with the, a lot of the investors are in fact coming out of China and they're kind of comfortable uh, doing what everybody else is doing um, and, and going out and doing something a little bit different is, uh, you know, uncharted territory and they don't necessarily have the, the connections or the contacts to be able to do it. So I, that that's the other, you know, so I really don't know that it would push them that much. You know, I, I think that, you know, some of this, you know, if you, if let's put it this way, it's like if you happen to have one of these properties and you just wanted to sell it, um, you know, all you have to do is just, you just take your property and so, you know, I, I really don't see how anybody with one of these high end properties wouldn't pay, you know, the, you know, the five, 10, 15 grand that it's going to take at most. That's if they put it in a trust, but put it in a corporation, we're talking three, 4,000 bucks, even to have a lawyer do it for you is no more than that to, to avoid 15% tax on, you know, 3 million bucks. You know, like that, that may, you know, you're going to save 450,000 through, you know, $15,000 at most of planning, like, you know, and, and there's nothing they can do about it because they wouldn't, you know, how do they know that they, they wouldn't even, there's nothing that says that the shares have even changed. There's no public registry of the, of the transfer of beneficial ownership of a trust or the transfer of shares. So how would the government of, of BC even know that there'd been a sale? Like there's, they wouldn't, they wouldn't even become aware of it. And for, you know, and for the, um, you know, for the, for the person selling the property, those two transactions are just as, are just as tax efficient, um, as, as they would under, you know, if they'd sold it directly themselves, you know, it takes a little bit of planning and a little bit of efficiency, but when you do it, but you have to know what you're doing, but you know, at the end of the day, they're going to wind up saving the other side, you know, 15%. Um, 
you know, so it's, it's, you know, I can't see it actually having the impact of driving um, demand elsewhere because I can't see it having an impact. Okay. You know, that's, that's, that's the first thing is if it's going to do nothing, then who cares? Right. Right. So, okay. So a lot of people have been just to kind of shift gears here. A lot of people have been talking about kind of the retroactive nature of the tax. So there's a lot of people that are being impact that had firm and binding agreements, either buying pre-sale condos or even having purchased a property in the last, you know, three to six months that won't complete until after August 2nd. Um, what are your thoughts about how they how they rolled the tax out? Is that does it? Do you see it as retroactive? Is this typically how taxes are rolled out? Um, do you see any kind of legal recourse for these people that are being impacted by it? Uh, to be honest, no. It, Canada has a long history of saying that the government can can retroactively impose tax so long as it expressly does so. If it literally, if the you know, if the law says we intend this to have the proper you know to to be effective regardless of you know retroactivity or you know as basically what what they said was we don't care that it's retroactive or not we've just put it in you know completed as of this date um and that's the rule then that's the rule and there's never been any um anything in canada that says the government can't do whatever the heck it wants with a tax whether that's provincial or federal so um i don't see there being a great deal of of um wiggle room there uh it, you know those are going to be the only people who are actually going to be impacted i think i think what what those people should probably do is both sides should have a little chat with their lawyer and um should um undo the deal uh you know uh and then immediately redo the deal uh, in one of the ways that I structured with the with the with the vendor transferring the property to some other structure and then having the uh, new owner take over that structure. And then, you know, then how in the heck is the uh, government even going to know that the land changed hands? Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like they said that they'll go after people for avoiding the tax. But under Canadian tax law, you're you're legally allowed to arrange your affairs as you see fit. So I, I don't quite see, you know, if, if someone just out and out lied and said, no, no, I'm not a non-resident. Well, then and they find out about it, that's one thing. But if you arrange it so that technically the law does not apply to you, then it doesn't apply. So um, I don't see really how they could stop people from just basically, you know, redoing the deal i I would i would make it that you know that the first that the change you know the the undoing of the first deal is contingent on the second deal going through and then and then just make sure that it all kind of that you know so it doesn't fall through and nobody you know that the deal is a deal but you know um if people want to get the deal done and they don't want to pay those kind of extra taxes there's lots of lots of ways we can fix that. So can we talk maybe a little bit more about uh, NAFTA and, and more of the free trade side of this? Um, so you mentioned that you thought, and I know this isn't your, your area per se, um, but you, you did mention that you thought that actually this might be in breach of some of our trade agreements. Can you elaborate on that? Do you think that this yeah, might come most, back to be super yeah. embarrassing for the Liberal government? Yeah, it, well, it, well it's, it's technically not not provincial law so it's more federal law but canada has we have trade agreements that are basically these they're they're basically investor protection agreements that are 
in the big picture, they're a good thing. What they say is the local government can impose whatever law it wants. It just can't specifically say the rule for locals is X, the rule for foreigners is Y. Okay. Um, it just can't do that. And it can't specifically, midway through after you've made an investment, say, yeah, we're changing the rules for you. But not everybody else here, because we just want to screw over the foreign guy. Or if, and even if they don't deliberately do that, if they change the rules in a way such that it excess, you know, that it clearly and deliberately has an impact on the foreign investor, that would not ex- happen for a variety of reasons or whatever it is to to the domestic uh, counterparts or you know the equivalent person in, who is a national or or, or who or, you know a local, then. Um, those those rules um, allow the investor to then sue the government and say, "Hey, you messed with my investment. You cost me money. You you know this is not fair." And so, it, you know, where people get bent out of shape is when the government brings in environmental regulations and you know supposedly to protect the environment, and then the foreign investor you know, gets upset. But very often what you'll find is if you look at those rules, it's like, well, we changed the rules to make your process illegal. And the other guy who's down the road, who's a local who happens to make sufficient political contributions, well, his process is 10 times as dirty, but we're going to let him go. <laughs> um, and, and that's that's a pretty typical move in, quote, environmental law is it, just because of, you know, political considerations. Um, so, but it's the same sort of thing in this situation, whereas they would be imposing a tax on on foreign investors that would not exist. Now, um, Canada has a broad spectrum of these investment trees. We we have we haven't you know signed off and completed the one with China yet, and there's a lot of reasons why that may or may not be a good thing. But um, the, the, I think the main issue is that um, there's a lot of countries, particularly NAFTA, uh, our Mexican and U.S. trade partners. And then the um, in which, you know, Chapter 11 of NAFTA is crystal clear that you can't impose rules on people just because they're not Canadians that that, you know, or obligations or taxes or penalties or anything on non-Canadians. And that that's crystal clear. So any American who's caught in this situation where they purchased a home and then it and then it didn't, you know, and it's going to close, they they would have ample grounds to sue. Uh, the Canadian government under Chapter 11. Now, it's quite an expensive, long process, but um, also, at the same time, um, the cost rules would clearly apply. And so, you know, when that investor eventually won and had to, they would, in fact, not only get the tax back, but they would also get their legal bill paid for in its entirety, because I think it's a slam dunk case that, you know, it cannot be argued that this doesn't (laughs) impact foreign investors more than it does domestic simply because it doesn't apply to Canadians. So, you know, this is like, this is like the definition of the thing you cannot do under cha- under chapter 11 of NAFTA. Uh, you know, like if you, if you looked in the dictionary under what you cannot do, this would be it. Exactly. Okay. So, so there would be a picture of Christy Clark's putting this, putting this tax on. So it's like, it's, 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 it's so crystal clear that it's offside. Um, all of Canada's investment treaties. Now, you know, the fact is that is it because the vast majority of the money that is flowing into Vancouver is obviously out of mainland China. All the stats show that. Um, 
you know, that, and so it doesn't necessarily apply, but, you know, if the law to that circumstance, but there's enough people to whom it would apply that this is going to become a, a, a political nightmare. Now, the bad, I guess the good news for the Christie Clark government is that it's actually not the provinces who have to pay pay it back. It's the federal government. It's, it's a federal government commitment not to do this. So... <laughs> So, so, you know, it, it becomes a, it, it effectively costs all Canadians money, not just people in BC. Okay. And so, and maybe this is a, a good place to kind of, as a final question, what do you see as the follow to this? Any predictions as to uh, the coming months? Well, I think, I think it's going to be um, entertaining, you know, um, they're going to, once, once they start to see that it's not working, that people are just going around it. Um, that it's that they're going to get sued, all this sort of stuff. There might be some climb down, but you know, as I wrote in the article, I do think that there is, in fact, you know, if they had wanted to do something that would have made an impact, uh, I, I don't think this issue is going to go away. I think that you know, um, nine out of ten. There was another survey that the CBC did that said nine out of ten people in Vancouver actually approved of the rule. But as I said in my article, I I, I think it's just because they. They, they think that something, quote, ought to be done. They just think this might, they just don't know that this isn't going to be what ought to be done. It's exactly what ought not to be done. But but it is, it, this is an ongoing issue. And other countries have, in fact, addressed this issue. And there is a very, you know, so Australia makes it virtually impossible for non-residents to purchase real property, but they have done it you know, it's been a long-standing rule. They've made it part of their investment protection treaties that it, you know that real property, domestic real property, doesn't apply uh, or isn't affected by their investment protection treaty rules. Uh, Switzerland, which has you know similar investment protection treaties, they have you know exactly the same. It's ba- ba- basically a blanket ban on any non-citizens buying property in their country. You know, it is entirely doable, but um, so you know there, there's that kind of thing, but. Um, as I said in my article, you know, there, there is a very simple way to deal with this. And, um, the simplest way to deal with it is, is just to make real estate transactions in excess of a certain amount, call it 500,000 or a million dollars or whatever, uh, reportable to the Canada Revenue Agency. And that would effectively probably have a bigger impact on slowing down, uh, the, the march of real estate prices than anything else. And simply because it would it would uh, um, make these transactions more apparent to the to the home country governments, to the people making the investments, which I think is is their their main objective is that real property is invisible. It's the equivalent of a modern Swiss bank account, and that you know nobody knows that you have it. So, so my view would be that I think that in the coming months, um, I would hope that the Christie Clark government would kind of see that that this is you know, not the brightest of moves and would work with the feds to make a move to do something along making uh, more real estate transactions reportable um, and or they would talk to the government about trying to deal with some of their investment protection treaties and or they would just work to make sure that the uh, China-Canada Investment Protection Treaty doesn't deal with real property. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, there's lots of quote, real work that could be done. At the same time, I think that you're going to see a backlash on this in that, you know, although nine out of 10 Vancouverites think something ought to be done, uh, all of, all of, Van- of those Vancouverites don't want anything to be done that could potentially harm their 
real estate property values. It's all about somebody else's, right? It's like, I want to be able to sell mine out for top dollar, but the fact that my, my kids can't buy in is horrible. Um, you know, that's, that's just the way people are, you know, they want to have their cake and eat it too. So I think the government will probably wind up climbing down off of this, um, simply because they'll realize that, that, you know, that they're looking dumber and dumber every day. And, and they, there might be some type of move that would make a little bit more legal sense, a little bit more structure or a little bit more structure that might actually have some, some impact on, on, um, the distortionary effect right now of, you know, of massive amounts of, of, uh, mainland China money investing in Vancouver real estate. And then, you know, leaving the properties vacant, which is, which is really what, what bothers people. Um, so I think that there is going to be, um, you know, they are going to try and come to a solution. I think politically it's, it's clear that something is going to happen because it's going to be popular, but at the same time, you know, they're, they're going to have to try and do something that's actually going to work. Um, and then they're going to be in the problem that if it actually does work and it actually starts to have a negative impact on real estate prices, they're going to be in trouble again. So this is really, this whole thing is like, you know, is just a political nightmare for them because, you know, they're, they're, you know, if they keep this, they're going to continue to be damned in the press for being stupid and for causing trouble and for not doing anything effective. If they try and change it to do something that is going to be effective, then they're going to get screamed at for hurting real estate prices. Um, so, you know, this is just a total no win situation for them. So, um, I, I can't see this, you know, turning out at all well for the, for the, for the current government, they would have been better off just burying their heads in their sand, sand and doing what the, doing what the federal liberals do is say, Oh, let's convene an inquiry that will cost $3 million and cost take seven years, um, to, to come up with some conclusions that we will subsequently then ignore, you know, like that, that would have been a better a better political solution to them to if they wanted to pretend like they were doing something about it. So um, I, I, you know, that's what I see happening is them sort of realizing how realizing this and then moving towards some sort of inquiry or report or commission or something um, just to make it look like they're doing something without doing anything because, because it's no win. It's just no win for them uh, no matter what they do. So, well, well maybe we'll leave it there. So Jonathan, how can people get a hold of you? Oh, uh, they can look on the website, uh, dominiontaxlaw.com, all one word, dominiontaxlaw.com, if they want to have a chat with me about this or any of the other Canadian tax or tax uh, controversy issues. Well, hey, thanks again for your time and uh, take care. Thanks. Okay, so I'm here with Chad Watts, mortgage specialist with The Mortgage Group. How are you doing, Chad? Great, Adam. How are you doing? Good, good. Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks for taking the time. Um, mm-hmm. So I've got a couple questions for you, but first, why don't we just talk about uh, what are the going rates right now? Well, the going rates are, I'll give you kind of two answers on that. We do have some pretty low, low rates out there. You could get like a five-year rate, five-year fixed rate for 2.39 or 2.34, and you can also get a... Uh, five- or three-year uh, variable rate for prime minus 45 to prime minus 50. But it's just important to know that with these extremely low-rate mortgages, they do come with catches and often reflects on how they do penalty calculations. So it's always important to know that these low-rate specials have some catches and just understand them before you jump into them. 
But um, outside of those, we're seeing 244 to 249 for five-year fixed for you know a fully featured mortgage, and we're seeing prime minus 40 to prime minus 35 for a fully featured variable rate. Great. So we've been talking a lot about the 15% foreign buyer tax, how it's mm-hmm. created some uncertainty and it's it's raised a lot of questions and issues for people. CMHC uh, warned of overvalued housing markets in both Toronto and Vancouver. OSFI mm-hmm. came out last week saying that um, some banks needed to do a stress test for, for market shifts up to 50%. Mm-hmm. How is this affecting lending? What are you seeing on the ground level? Yeah, well, to be honest with you, on the ground level, as of today, we haven't seen anything happen. We haven't seen any tightened regulations. We haven't seen any change in underwriting criteria. So, you know, as of this exact moment, nothing has actually changed. Okay. However, um, they also, uh, it, there was another uh, blast a little while ago about um, underwriting criteria. And I think this is ultimately what the change will be, and it'll be addressing their stress test um, question. And um, what they're looking at is um, things that will seem common sense, but maybe they weren't paying as much of attention to it with certain types of files. Is they're going to be scrutinizing income verification a bit closer? Um, they're going to be scrutinizing what they call non-conforming loans. Really, that just means anything around 65% or lower, because there's a, often a different set of uh, criteria to be met for that. So they'll be looking deeper into that. And they'll also be looking a little more closely at debt service ratios. So if you want, I could go through each of those things just to kind of give you an idea of what sure. that actually means in more common parlance. So, you know, with income verification, of course, you know, for your people who are salaried and, and hourly, been working at the job for a while, we're really going to see no effect because it's a really straightforward income verification. It's when you see something that might be a little less conventional. So somebody who's self-employed and how we go through proving their self-employment, we're going to probably see a higher level of uh, proof needed to validate the income that we're showing. Because often enough, we're having to say, you know, due to these sets of pieces of information, they make X amount, which is higher than what is on their tax return. And so we're going to have a higher level of burden of proof to say that this higher level of income is justified with the documentation we have. So I think self-employed people are going to face some changes and more uh, documentation. So um, people who act aggressively write down income might have bigger challenges when it comes to getting larger loans. Okay. So that sounds like it's it's uh, going to apply to almost everybody in the, in the market. What about um, as a result of the 15% foreign buyer tax? Are you seeing any changes specifically as a result of this announcement this past Monday? Yes. Um, I, speaking you know, purely for myself, um, I had two clients that uh, we had uh, pre-approvals with. Uh, they weren't already in contracts, but they were, had pre-approvals. And uh, I got messages from them saying that they were going to hold off on making a purchase in the Vancouver region um, for the time being because of the extra 15%. And uh, they're ultimately, I think what their hope is, is that they'll retract the um, the tax and then they'll come back looking into the market. Um, so they're foreign so that nationals. Means, that's right. In this case, they are. Um, what about any changes from lenders or, or from the banks in general? Well, actually, going back, this is where we will see some changes. Um, I mentioned um, non-conforming loans. So loans that were 65% or less. Well, where a lot of your foreign nationals um, find themselves is in loans of 65% or less. Um, 
So what they're going to start doing is look much more closely at the um, how that income comes in. Because one of the challenges with a foreign national is obviously proving their income because it's coming from a foreign country. So it could be different types of tax information that lenders aren't used to, uh, obviously in different languages. There's, there's just challenges you wouldn't be facing with local or for proof of local incomes. So I think what we're going to see is, um, and this is going to affect, I think, the bigger banks more than the uh, monoline lenders, is what we're going to see is scrutiny placed much more like you would see with a self-employed person here is going to be applied to them. So where there was lots of files where uh, we, you know, we've seen in the you know, news, you know, a student might you know own a home and how did they debt service this? Uh, I think those types of mortgages in the future are going to be tougher to come by. So I think that's where... Um, there's going to, we're going to see a change that the underwriting criteria, 65% less, is going to match more closely the underwriting criteria that people above that would have normally faced. Okay, great. So, Chad, how can people reach you? Uh, they can re- reach me at uh, my phone number right now, which will probably be best, which is 778-773-6631. Or they can check out my webpage in about a week's time because it's actually being uh, worked on at the moment at Watts Mortgages. So mortgages with an S dot com. Perfect. Well, hey, thanks again for your time. Thank you very much. Have a great day. So there you have it, folks. Our conversation with Jonathan Garbutt and uh, Chad Watts. Uh, some some really interesting stuff there. Yeah, yeah. Jonathan Garbutt definitely uh, strong opinions on the fifteen percent foreign buyer yeah. tax. Uh, no, he, he he'll tell you what he thinks. Yeah, for sure. And Chad is in is an excellent uh, mortgage specialist. Um, so if anyone's looking to get pre-approved, uh, give Chad Watts a call. He's he's a great person to work with. Um, yeah, absolutely. So Matt, basically, we we've been we've been really working the Facebook page. We'd love people to uh, come and join us online. We've got posts about uh, if we have questions for upcoming guests. Um, there's some interesting dialogue going on. So um, we do have a Facebook page. Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. Uh, search it on Facebook. You'll find us. Yeah, there's actually part of that. Part of that fierce debate was uh, was happening on our, on our page, which was really, uh, yeah, it was fascinating to uh, to engage with. So, so come and join us on uh, on our Facebook page, and also um, if you can, please, if you enjoy the podcast, we'd love to read uh, your reviews on iTunes. Um, yeah, it really helps us grow. So uh, we appreciate we appreciate all the people who have rated us and we uh, are looking for more. So please uh, feel free. And uh, Matt, how can people reach you? Yeah, they can reach me at 778-847-2854 or at matt at scalinarealestate.com. Or you can try me at adam at scalinarealestate.com or 778-866-4574. And we also have that nonpartisan line. Right. Info at scalinarealestate.com. So have a great week and uh, we'll talk to everyone soon. Take care, guys. 2,000 Faces for Radio. Subscribe today.